I've put a lot of thought into some of the stuff that Kelly was talking about over this last year since COVID. And um, sometimes our thoughts are kind of like, you're like, ooh, that wasn't a nice thought. You know, did that come from God or did that come from me or, you know, and, and, and I think there has been a good amount of energy spent trying to bring people back who unfortunately are choosing to not be here. And when I heard Kelly say what she was talking about, about new people, I immediately, my first thought was, you can't put old wine in new wineskins. Or you can't, yeah, you can put new wine in old wineskins. And that's what we've been trying to do. And we are the church. And the church is now. The church is today, it's alive. This is the church. You are the church. I am the church. We are the body of Christ. And I feel like we are, are holding on to like, you know that one person, we love them so much and they were so much a part of what we did around here. And I know countless people, not here, just other places. It's like they could have spent 15, 20 years in church and they unplugged themselves. And nothing anybody can do, the pastor showing up at their house, praying with them, bringing them free food from the food banquets, inviting them to church 72 times over a four-year period, they don't come back. And I don't, we, we can't, we can't bring them back, and we're putting all that energy into it. We're putting all that energy of trying to put new wine into old wineskin. And I heard that right now. I know some people are going through it. You ever sit in church, and, and, and the pastor gets up, and he starts sharing a message, and you're like, he shared that for me. I know there will be some here who's going to say to themselves, Pastor wrote that message today because he did that because he knew I was going to be here. But I promise you, I didn't. But I always say, because I'm not, and this is in no way, sometimes I get up here and I'll admit, like, this might offend. This won't offend, but for some of us, if the shoe fits Cinderella, we must wear it, Right? I love that Kelly said about reading your word of God. It's, I'm going to read that to you right here in my notes today before we start our message. Well, we're in our message. But before we get into it, I wrote those exact things because that's, I'll get to my part. I was amazed a few weeks back. A few weeks back, I was somewhere, and I listened to a minister speak. It was like a Joel Osteen thing. He talked for 30 minutes. He told a really funny story, and everybody loved it. But I don't remember him reading one verse from the Word of God. I don't. I heard the whole thing. Even got my attention. I was like, wow, and I'm laughing, and I'm in the story, and then it was over. And I was like, I don't think he even read a Bible verse. I don't think there was a Bible verse attached to that. And that's what people want. But we're not doing that here. We've been going through, I noticed this today. I, was, I spent a few minutes by myself praying and reading 
and prepping myself. I, I prep myself multiple times during the week, but I like to spend a few minutes alone here before I come up here. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking about that. And I was thinking, you know, I get up here and I usually open you guys up with 15, 20 minutes of some tie-in, of some spiritual thought, focal point, some talking point to bring me into the Word. But then all my notes and your bullet points are not to do with that. They're the nuggets of what we're reading. I want you to take out a scripture what's there. It's God's Word is simple. You know, it's, it's not some coded, you know, there's these, these, these scientific Christians now. They're like, you know, they're breaking down revelation for you and they've got their algebraic equations up here and they're pointing to this verse and they're circling this and they're going, God's wrote it right here. It's, it's plain as day. If you follow this and you bounce to this verse and you switch these numbers here and what he's saying is this. Dude, if he ain't saying it, stop trying to make it happen. If it doesn't just say it, Stop trying to make it code. Why would God code it? He wants you to know the truth. He's not trying to hide anything from you. But I hear these ministers do this stuff. So, anyways, 500 different ways of saying the same thing, Chris. Okay, back to the point. Moving on. Life goes on. Tomorrow is going to come. Do you know how I know that? Because Christ hasn't even returned and taken us back to heaven yet. And a lot of stuff has to happen after that. Therefore, tomorrow is going to come. It is going to come. You may not be here, but tomorrow is going to come. And life goes on. If any one of us here passes today and goes home to be with the Lord, the world will go on tomorrow. Because he has not returned and taken us all. And everything that the Bible says will happen is going to take more time than 22 hours. So tomorrow is going to come. If the Lord returns today, like I'm saying... The world will go on tomorrow, and tomorrow will come. There's going to come a time after Christ returns and takes the believers, and people go through the tribulation, and Satan gets locked away, and Christ rules for a thousand years, and everything's going to take place, and one day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, until all that comes to pass, there's going to be a tomorrow. Certain things in life are designed to mature you emotionally and spiritually. When we were children, we had pets. Most of us, some of us, not all of us. And be like, I didn't have pets in my childhood. My dad was a drunk and beat my mom. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm just saying on average, most people grew up with pets. You, got, you went to the fair and you came home with a goldfish. And it died tonight. Tomorrow, maybe two days. Either your mom made it disappear before you saw it, or you were the one that helped flush it down the toilet. Either way, that goldfish died. <laughs> 
You had a cat. His name was Felix. And when you were 12, he died. Things happen in life that are designed to emotionally and spiritually mature us. And we learn to emotionally and spiritually mature and grow and move on and go on because the world will go on tomorrow. As we continue to grow into children, adolescents, young adults, average lifespans takes place. Average, I said average. Average lifespan takes place. You lose a great-grandparent, a grandparent. And your parents walk you through this, and they explain the cycle of life to you, and you experience this loss, and you grow from it emotionally and, and spiritually. Other things happen in some of our lives that are unexpected. And we too grow emotionally and spiritually because tomorrow comes and we must go on. And then one day, under average circumstances, we lose our parent. We're going to lose our parents. And we learn to emotionally and spiritually mature further. And we grow from it. And we go on. And we don't spend a day the rest of our lives probably not thinking of that person. But we go on. And then one day we lose a spouse, our significant other. One day, one of you will move on first. This must take place. And you will grow from it emotionally and spiritually, and you will go on. Or you could choose the easy way out, as so many have over the last lifetimes of lifetimes. We hear all about those sad cases. Or you're lucky, you'll be like Johnny Cash and pass one month later from heartbreak and not go on. But for most of us, we're going to go on. And we learn to emotionally and spiritually grow and mature, and we're given the ability to comfort other people as they mourn and grieve and go through things because loss changes us. Not in a negative way. It helps us to grow emotionally and spiritually and grow. Death has been a part of this life since Eve ate from the forbidden fruit from the tree of knowledge. Chris, how do you know it was a fruit? Well, fruit grows on trees. It's called a tree. I didn't classify or tell you what fruit because I do not know. But I know it was a fruit because it was on a tree. Death has been a part of this life 
since Eve first took a bite of the tree of knowledge from the fruit. I've learned through my own emotional and spiritual growth, personal experience, that when people use mind-altering substances, alcohol, drugs, they shut off their ability to continue to emotionally grow because they don't ever emotionally grow anymore. Because when something happens, they're not really experiencing it the same way somebody does that's in their right mind. And then one day they get sober and then they deal with all that wave of emotion of 20 years of whatever and it all catches up to them. I know many people. I'm really close with my grandparents. They helped raise me. And in my eyes, they are like my parents. They are at home right now in Southern California watching us online. You've met them. They've been here. And they'll be coming to visit in October, God willing. I am so emotionally attached to them. Everybody's different. I am so emotionally attached to them that still to this day, I will cry and sob when I think about them not being here. Anybody else do this? Or am I the only one? Thank you. Feel better now? I was trying to profile everybody. I'm like, well, don't we all do that? Some are sicker than others. At some stages in our life, we do this often. But because of this list of experiences through life that I've talked to you about, and we've grown emotionally and spiritually, barring mind-altering substances, these moments begin to spread themselves apart. And they don't happen as often as when you first start experiencing them. They don't go away or stop, but they happen less often because we are growing emotionally and spiritually. And if we know God's truth and we have a relationship with our Savior, and we know that our wives, parents, grandparents, not your pets, have a relationship with the one true God, and we emotionally and spiritually are mature in our faith, we're able to process these things and accept them, different than the rest of the world. I remember six years ago, I've told you guys this story many times in my journey. I remember six years ago when we got asked to move to San Diego. And I was like, God is moving us to San Diego. He's using my job to do it. What's the next mission? And we got there and we became directors of Celebrate Recovery Ministry, right? Right. But this is the part of the story I don't tell you. You see, there was another plan here at work by God. And I rarely like to talk, admit, think, or discuss what that plan was. Do you know why? Because I know that God has another plan 
that he's carrying out as he's creating space for me to not be so emotionally attached and that I can continue to grow emotionally and spiritually and accept that one day my grandparents, who I am so emotionally attached and close to, are going to go home and be with him and I will be without them. And God knew that I would take that so hard, he moved me away. Just as he's done with so many people in this Bible that we've been reading every week. When Abraham left his father's place, when Jacob left for 20 years, have you ever not liked something God was doing in your life? That's it for me. That's the one plan God has in my life that I don't like. And that's okay, because he knows I don't like it, and he's okay that I don't like it. This is God's work and preparation in our lives to prepare us emotionally and spiritually for the inevitability that one day we will all leave this earth and hopefully spend eternity with him. Amen? I know, sad topic, Chris. Moving back to Jacob, last week he returned to Bethel, and today we pick up in the same story. Last week we talked about Deborah, his mother's nurse, passing. You remember? And he buried her under the oak tree, and they called it the tree of weeping. Weeping in the original language meant double sorrow. It's possible that his mother passed at the same time. There's no clarification in the word. And as we've talked about for the last couple months, I told you that when he left, he would never see his mother again. Why do you think when Jacob left, he would never see his mother again? Because Jacob was mama's boy. Remember? Yeah. Jacob was mom's favorite. And I'll bet you that mom was Jacob's favorite. And God had to prepare Jacob to grow emotionally and spiritually, as he does with all of us. This week, Jacob will experience more loss. And after this chapter, Jacob will be a changed man for the rest of his life. Sometimes it takes great loss before we change in our lives, and sometimes it takes great loss to mature us emotionally and spiritually. Now I'm picking up what Kelly had talked about. I hope to encourage you each week to spend time face-to-face with God reading his word. Do you want to hear from God? Open the Bible. It is his living word. It cuts sharper than any two-edged sword. You can pray up, and when you want to look for God to respond to you, you need to open his word. Because every time you open his word, you're looking him face to face. And his word speaks to you. He doesn't speak through burning bushes anymore. He speaks through his word, which he's given us, and he speaks through the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit resides in us. That's who God speaks to you through. So let's look at the reading. We're starting in uh, verse 16. If you look at your handout and you want to follow it there, or you can follow it on the, on the uh, slide. About two-thirds down the page, there's a number 16. If you're reading from your handout, when you find that number 16, just raise your hand. I know you're there. 
Okay. About two-thirds of the way down, the number 16 is there. Okay. They're all ready. Let's read from there. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when they... And when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth. Let's stop right there. I'm testing you. Who is Rachel? His wife. Which one of his wives? His favorite wife. Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. Now it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, Do not fear. You will have this son also. And so it was as her soul was departing, for she died that she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave. Why would Jacob put a pillar there? To remember. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Then Israel journeyed, and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. And it happened when Israel dwelt in, the land, in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. This was one of his father's four wives. And Israel heard about it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. The sons of Leah, his first wife, were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's maidservant, were Dan and Naphtali. And the son of Zilpah, Leah's maidservant, were Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Paddan Aram. Then Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron where Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, so Isaac breathed his last breath and died and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. In this chapter, Jacob lost three people. Let's make it four people. First, Deborah, his mother's nurse, who probably nursed him, died. His mother, who's no longer there, she's dead. His wife, his spouse, the one he loved so dear, she just died in childbirth. And his father, whom he deceived, but was blessed by, who was his one and only dad, also died. Loss is something that's inevitable in this life. And knowing that people have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and knowing that we can spend eternity together, and knowing that this is so temporary, everything here is temporary. It seems like forever. But it's not even, a, not even a pebble of sand compared to a beach of time. So let's go through these notes. Let's look at this chapter again and get some of these things that I pulled from this. 
Now once in the land, the family was now complete. God's will was for Jacob to have 12 sons. God didn't originally tell him how many sons he was going to have. But there's one son that God has a special plan for. Joseph. There's a son that's going to be involved in Joseph's story that's going to move the heart of Israel. And that is the son who was just born. Eleven of twelve sons were not born in the land of promise. This is interesting. Something I found in some of my uh, notes to read and study on. And I found it as an interesting point. That 11 of the 12 sons were not born in the land of promise, but one son was. It was that was the final stake in the ground. This is where you're going to be. This section signifies that Israel, once in the land, would flourish under God's blessing. This is where the blessing would take place. This is the land of promise. This is the sanctuary. Just like this fellowship right here is where God puts you today. It's your current land of promise. And the last bullet point from that would be that Jacob would receive his final son in the land. This is the land that was promised to him a long time ago by his father and by God Most High. This was the promise. Now he has gone on a crazy journey 20 years with Laban. Then when he came back, he saw his brother, and then he went somewhere else, to the land of uh, Hamer and Shechem. And we all know the tragedy that occurred there with Simeon and Levi. And then everybody in the land was afraid of them as they traveled the rest of the way. And Jacob now experiences a tremendous amount of loss. He's gained He's done nothing but gain, but gain, but gain, but gain, but there comes a day in our life when we stop gaining and God starts taking things away. It happens for all of us. So bullet point two, Rachel would die in childbirth. Rachel would die in childbirth. Her death would be the second transitional death in this chapter. First one was Deborah. Second one is now Rachel. So he's lost somebody who's nursed him. Somebody that he was emotionally attached to. Gone. Now the woman that he worked so hard to get. Gone. She named the child Ben-Ohi. Ben-Oni. It means son of my sorrow. Was her sorrow that she was dying? Was her sorrow that her childbirth was difficult? Or was her sorrow that she lived in between three wives? Don't know. You can choose whichever one you want. Israel would name the child Benjamin, son of my right hand. 
He was not going to name this child son of my sorrow. Although he would be full of sorrow at this point. You know the one thing that happens to Jacob besides the fact that Jacob grows from here emotionally and spiritually and becomes a different person after this? He's been renamed, but he's going to become a different person. You know what the most important thing to notice here is? Tomorrow will come. And tomorrow went on for him. All the way to the point where he traveled to the land of Egypt following his sons. This loss was great to bear, but not too great to not go on. Jacob would build a pillar over her grave. He would not want to forget his love. She was his first love. When he showed up and he said, that's the one I want, right there. Her. Right there, center seat in the back. Her. We all remember the story. So let's move on to some other stuff I pulled out of this chapter. Reuben would commit what's considered an act of incest. I found it funny that Reuben didn't sleep with Zilpah, who was his own mother's maidservant and concubine. It was Rachel's concubine. He would sleep with his father's concubine. She was the mother of who? Does anybody remember from the story? These guys are quicker than I can get it up there. Dan and Naphtali, that's right. Some scholars believe, I was reading some um, notes here. Some scholars believe he may have been trying to replace his father as patriarch prematurely by performing this act. Doesn't say she was unwilling. Didn't say there was any act of rape. She was a willing participant as well. Remember, Reuben is also the brother of Simeon and Levi, which would make him the brother of who? The sister. The sister that the father did nothing about. Do you remember? Uh Uh-huh. Dina. Dinah. Yeah. Reuben, Simeon, Levi... Reuben, Sibion, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. Leah gave him six children, plus Dina, so seven. They never list the girls. We don't really know how many kids, but six males. Reuben was the firstborn. Simeon and Levi followed. You remember Simeon and Levi? They went out and made sure that things were made right in their eyes, not in God's eyes, not under any order or instruction. They took things into their own hands. So Reuben is their older brother. And Reuben is the one who's now committed this act. That's why some scholars believe that he may have been trying to prematurely remove his father as patriarch of the family. This act would cost him his inheritance. Third of 12 children to lose their inheritance. Who were the first two? That's an easy one. I just gave you the answer. 
So, summing it all up, because we're getting ready to close the chapter on Jacob. Significant events happened at this point in Jacob's life. Deborah, Rachel, and Isaac all died. His, his mother's nurse, or his nurse, his first love, and his father. All at the same time. Or around the same time. Reuben relinquished his right to inherit a blessing. What also happened in this chapter, Chris, and what we saw in the life of Jacob as we come to close it, idols had to be buried. Remember, there was now idolatry going on at the beginning of this chapter where we read that they were going to go back into the land, and he went to his family and he said, give up your idols. Because he was a great leader and telling, and he had them every week, he was preaching God's word, and he had them focused on God so they didn't have idols, right? That was a joke. There was serious idolatry going on in his family. And remember I told you, I pointed out, we weren't talking about just anybody. These are his 12 sons, 11 sons. They were the ones with the idols. Everyone had to be consecrated in order for Jacob's vows to be completed at Bethel. That was a part of the idols being buried, and everybody had to be consecrated. Everybody had to be clean. Ceremonial, ceremonially clean. Did I say that right? Ceremonially. You know what I'm saying. Faith in God had to be revitalized so that the covenant could be carried on. Faith in God had to be revitalized so that the covenant could be carried on. Jacob changed when all three of those losses hit him at once. Jacob had the idols removed from his house. And Jacob made sure that everybody was ceremonially clean before entering the land of promise. All these three things occurred. Well, all these things took place in the life of Jacob here. For Jacob, it took great loss to finally emotionally and spiritually grow. As I told you, from this point forward, his name's Israel now, will be a new man. He'll be a different man. He'll be a different father. Because everything that he clung to was gone. Cling to God's word. Cling to this church family. Cling to prayer. Cling to what is eternal. God. I don't know what it takes for some of us to emotionally and spiritually grow but I highly suggest you pray for God to help you continue to emotionally and spiritually grow so that God doesn't have to change you all at once.
Because Jacob was doing a great job as the leader of the family. Great job. I look back at the life of Jacob and I start with heel grabber. Plots things out with his mother to deceive his father. Tricks his brother into selling his birthright. You would rather starve and die? Sell me your birthright. I'll feed you some of this. He's a great guy. Top, top shelf. It took all this great loss to finally change him forever. My prayer is that we focus in God's word. See, I like reading God's word every week. This is where we emotionally and spiritually grow. As he awkwardly looks everybody in the eyes. Huh? Non negotiable. I see you, D. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you give us opportunity to come and worship you. I thank you that you give us opportunity to choose to be spiritually fed. And I thank you that we make the choice to choose that. Father, it's my prayer today to help this church family grow more emotionally and spiritually than wherever they're at right now, Lord, that we mature to the next level. Whatever the next level is for whoever we are, wherever we're at, wherever we're at in our seat, Lord, my prayer is that you reach into that person and you take them to the next level. Father, we can't sit here and live on spiritual milk when we've been spiritually fed milk years ago and we're still coming to church, it's time to grow. So Lord, I pray over this church. Lord, the, the faithful few are here. I love that we are such an intimate church, Lord. I thank you for that. I love that there's a relationship here that every single individual has with almost every other single individual. It is what makes this church an intimate atmosphere, Lord, so that we may grow emotionally and spiritually. Lord, feed us with your word. Feed us with your spirit. Feed us, feed, feed us, Lord, however you need to, Lord. I just thank you, Lord. I thank you for this people. I thank you for what you're going to do in their lives this week, Lord. I thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.